0: It is well with my soul. It's a beautiful, beautiful reflection, isn't it? And um, something to think about. As I get to share, I, I can only uh, give a, a uh, reaffirmation of the fathers among us. Um, what, a, what a remarkable role a father has when you think about it. Um, I have uh, had the privilege of uh, having two fathers... That is to say, my my father, my birth father, uh, died 26 years ago. And what a wonderful man he was. And uh, so marked, everything that I think about as I look to my father and the impact he had in my life, as we hear stories, uh, we brothers especially will talk about dad from time to time and what a marking figure he was for us. And I'm so thankful for my father. And I think one of the things uh, we we start to recognize... um, as we go forward in life is that we never quite know what we're supposed to do. Especially we men, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? And uh, there are plenty of people who will tell us what we're supposed to do. But in a way, we have to have that generated from within. And I'll tell you where that ultimately is birthed by our fathers. Now, here's the challenge we face. Not all of our fathers have gotten it quite right. And uh, so that's the blessing of having yet another father. The Heavenly Father, who says, now take what you have as a model, sometimes for good, sometimes for ill, from your earthly father, and then look to me and I'll show you exactly what it's really meant to be. There are times when you may have a longing saying, if only dad would, if only my father would, and you can look to the Heavenly Father and any function of righteousness and goodness, of truth and the way it's really meant to be, we'll see it reflected to us from our Heavenly Father. But our earthly fathers absolutely the starting point for all of that, even if there are needs for correction. And I can think even of my stepfather. My mother uh, was blessed uh, by having Russ come along. And Russell uh, is uh, 92 years old. And it's a joy to be able to go back home and be with Russ. And uh, Russ is a man who has shown me what courage looks like while he's an old man. He will not die until my mother dies. And, you know, he had his heart stop when he was 89 for 33 minutes on the surgical t- table. And he weathered it. He came back. Nope, it's not my time. I'm not going to go home until everything's taken care of. And they, oh, what courage he shows. What, what strength. And he fell and broke his right and dominant arm here about two months ago. And I was able to be home for a six-week period and help out and we really did have to help him, but he's just a courageous man. All right, I've got to do my therapy. I've got to do my therapy. I'm going to take a little extra time on that. He he will not die until mother goes home. Now, that's a dad. That's a father. So, all of us men, our dads are so important, aren't they? Let me just pray and give thanks for our fathers. Father, thank you so very much for being our ultimate father, but thank you for giving our... Immediate fathers to us, we, we praise you and thank you for the measure that they display you to us. And we thank you, too, that in their limitations and weaknesses, we can still have the, the reality that we're drawn uh, beyond the fact that we're broken and limited people into that greater vision. But what a platform you give us with the fathers we have. And we're so thankful. And uh, we just want to honor uh, your work, Father, in our fathers. Uh, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I get to uh, uh, preach uh, from Mark 1, 14 to 20. But before I do that, I should mention, as one of the great travelers in our crowd here, I'll be in the States this time next week. I was in Turin this time last week. And uh, Peter had given us a unique challenge of uh, eating, David and I, uh, of eating our body weight in gelato while we were there. We failed but we gave it a good shot and it was a remarkably good time there as we had a chance to visit because part of what we're looking at here and talking about a church we got to see displayed there. Hugh Williams who had been in Cordeo a few years ago now is leading a church there and and, um, he had a unique opportunity to uh, come alongside one man in particular and speak into his life and they're still carrying on a conversation I'm just so struck with the way God weaves together, has the proper timing for lives connecting with lives. And and that's been a good reflection for me as I prepared for our talk this morning because we're going to see issues of timing. That is, as Christians, what do we do? How do we live? How do we become a church? And not many of us have uh, ever been part of a church planting expedition, have we? Um, When you think about it, church planting is not something that's commonplace. And so as we think about Trinity Chippenham, and we think about the needs that we got to experience down in Turin of meeting the need of another man who had had, a, had some challenges. Well, we've got needs here. People here have challenges. How do we as a church reach out, care for, support, encourage others? Well, that's, that's what church planting is about. How do we go there? How do we do that? And... Um, In the course of the beginning of Trinity Chippenham, I've had the privilege of being alongside the leadership team as the whole exercise went forward. And it had sort of some phases, and it would be good to think about these phases in getting a church plant going, a new church started. First of all, we had the question of what would be the uh, uh, timing, and as we got launched... uh, uh, the conversation about the possibility of offering a new church began over a year ago. And yet it wasn't a year ago that we started. Instead, there was a recognition that this is something of a gestation. It takes time for something like a church plant to take place. And there was prayer. There were prayer meetings. There was the offering of our hearts to God to say, God, what is your purpose? What is your thought? There wasn't even a firm determination to start a church. Until there had been a time of prayer to say, God, you must work among us. This has to come from you. And what's your time? And so in the course of that praying, that sharing together, meeting together, having prayers, uh, January became the launching time. That was kind of call it the fullness of time. It was the time it seemed right. Okay, now let's get it started. The new year, let's launch. What about location? Now we may take it for granted, since we're now Trinity Chippenham, that Chippenham was foreordained. Well, it wasn't foreordained. It could have been Corsham, could have been um, Bristol, it could have been Swindon, could have been name any of the community, Melcham, you know. We might have said, let's let's find and see if there's a need for a church plant in some other location. But here we are. And that's part of the exploration of planting a church. Where's the place where where there's a a need, where there's a a potential, where there's uh, just the fertile soil for getting a church started? So that's a question, the location. We also would ask the question of what's the vision? A church doesn't form as a collection that's a social club, a collection of people gathering together just to say, oh, well, wouldn't it be nice just to hang out with each other and let's call it a church? That would not be a healthy church. The question is, what defines a given church? What's the focus? And I know from the handbook and from the conversations that it's the working process of building a vision that has become the vision of Trinity Chippenham that is birthed out of the Trinity. It's no accident, the name. So the Trinity, well, what is the Trinity? The Trinity is a who. It's a father-son, Holy Spirit relationship, the union of God eternally in communion, enjoying one another, so much so that as my friend Richard Sibbs, a 17th century Puritan, put it, if God had not a, 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 a loving, caring, mutual delight, there would never have been a creation nor a redemption. It's in the overflow, the spreading goodness of God that we are here. And that was the vision of the church, to be a church with a gaze at the Trinity, the triune God, seeing the Father through the Son, and having the Spirit pour the love of God out into our hearts. And for us as Trinity Chippenham to be a a community that then spreads the overflow of God's love and goodness, His spreading goodness to Chippenham, to Wiltshire, to England, and beyond. This is the vision of Trinity Chippenham. So as the church has started, those are the features that needed to be in place. There needed to be a leadership team. You can't just say, let's be a church and then stand around and look at each other and say, I don't know, what do we do next? Someone has to be willing to serve and to serve with a sense of not saying I'm in charge, but rather to say for us to be healthy, to follow the vision, to go somewhere. Wouldn't it be good if we would do these things? And to be able to capture and gain the respect and trust of others who would say, yes, yes, as you are praying and as you are looking to the Lord, please give us the coaching and the encouragement and order things so that we can start to go forward in a meaningful and ordered fashion. And so the leadership team forms. That's the key to getting a church started. Well, guess what we have here in Mark? We have Jesus working on issues of timing, location, vision, and leadership. So let's read the passage and see how he started the first ever church plant, uh, ministry development by Jesus. So let's take a look at the text. We'll just read verses um, uh, 14 through 20. Uh, You can follow along. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee And going a little further, farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their net in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat by a father, and uh, with the hired servants, and followed him. So let's unpack that a little bit. This is the starting point. This is where things get launched. This is the best ministry ever getting launched. Did you notice the pieces, the features that were present in it? Let's walk through them one at a time. First of all, the timing. What was the timing? Did you catch that in verse uh, 14? Now, after after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's drawn near. It's arrived. And then he goes on with further content. But the timing was significant, and we can shoot right over the top of it. Why the comment on John the Baptist? Have you ever thought about that? The answer is, of course not. That's a rhetorical question. But do think about it. Why that particular comment? After John the Baptist was arrested. Now, it's not going to be until we get to chapter 6 that we get back to John the Baptist... And this is kind of thrown in as a sidebar for an audience that is informed. So, yeah, we know John the Baptist. He was this very significant, the first prophet after 400 years of silence. God came and began to speak and share. After that desperate, long time of silence, did God really care for us in that 400 years? Now God has come with a prophet and he's arrested. But what was the role that we have in John the Baptist? Peter shared it last week. I was able to listen, and he nailed it. He was the one promised in Isaiah chapter 40. He had a role to play. He had a role that was a bit like someone building a road, someone who would take um, the hilltops and carve them down, and fill the valleys. And so the road would be straight and level. The, the road that would be suitable for the coming of the king. They didn't want to have the king bouncing and jouncing, uh, you know, that's a new word, uh, all over the place. Um, but rather to have a smooth road so he could arrive in an appropriate fashion to the place where he, the king, would then serve in his ministry. Who was the one who filled that role? John the Baptist. But was he out carving roadways or was he carving souls? What was his message? Let's go back as a way of reminder. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What was the hard rock that needed to be exploded and bulldozed and flattened? The hardness of hearts that had formed over the hundreds of years, the hardness of hearts, people who were ready to live as if they could do what was right in their own eyes and satisfy their own ambitions and their own desires and everything was fine. And he came and said, no, things are not fine. You must be prepared because God is coming. Get ready. And I'm here to warn you, you're not ready. You're not prepared. Have your hearts prepared and I will be here to preach and teach and confront you about the fact that you're really not ready. It's not a smooth road yet. And so with that calling, with that invitation, he's arrested, and that ultimately is the end of John the Baptist's ministry. And Jesus is in effect saying, that part is done. The Isaiah 40 passage is completed. Here I am. And did everyone get that? Probably not. But... As we look back, do we see that? Yes, we do. So John the Baptist is the precursor, the setting up, the preliminary. And then comes the one who is the feature event. The king arrives. Which leads us then to the location. Jesus came into Galilee. Wow. Now, for us, we go Galilee, Shmalilee. I mean... Nice, that's all the Bible stories were in Galilee, so it must be a good place. Well, yeah, but if you happen to live at that time, where would you want to start a ministry? If you wanted to change the world, where would you go? If you're Jewish in origin, where do you go if you're a Jew? Jerusalem. You go to Jerusalem. This is the place where all the prophets came and died It's the place where God's action on earth takes place. Jerusalem. We could make a song out of it, but I'd drive you out of here uh, if I sing it. (laughs) Oh, Jerusalem. And where's Galilee? It's about a three-day hike up to the north, and it's the region mostly filled in with non-Jews or Gentiles. It's a really unlikely spot for a successful ministry. Why? Why not London for crying out like Chippenham? Why not London? Come on, at least Bristol. Chippenham? You see, that would have been the response of the people to have the king arrive in Galilee, Capernaum, places up in the Northlands. It just didn't make much sense. But that's where Jesus arrived. And in a way, it's the surprise of Jesus' ministry as much as anything that causes people to have to rejigger their thinking. I don't know if I've been thinking about God quite properly, quite right, quite correctly until now, once they start to believe in Jesus because Jesus doesn't fit the format that everyone had in mind of what they expected. They expected the Messiah to come and to land in Jerusalem, and to set up some sort of a television internet broadcasting system. They didn't know about those things in those days, but they would have expected him to invent that so that he could communicate and dominate and rule the whole world from the best palace possible in Jerusalem. That's what people would have had in mind. That's what it is to build a proper church, and especially Americans, we love to do things in dramatic terms. And that's what we would have expected. So isn't that true? We don't take things seriously that are done in small places among small people out in the corner corners of social structures and society. Chippenham? Yeah, chipping them. What a good place to have the gospel planted and start to spread. So Jesus, Galilee was his place. And um, we also find out as we, we unpack this, That the the timing is everything. It's the the issue of timing and place, the location. The question of the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, is really striking. In that, why that particular time, two thousand years ago? Now, if Jesus had inaugurated the full-blown kingdom, that is brought to earth, that my little vision of uh, you know an internet. Broadcasting television center in Jerusalem. Why that particular time, 2,000 years ago, before there were electronics, before there were broadcasting facilities? Why that time? And the answer is we don't know. I don't know. You don't know. But let me ask you a question why this time? Why are you and I here? Why this place? Why this time? And the answer is God knows. He knows. And Jesus is saying, This is the time. It's, it's, it's fulfilled in the pathways of God, in His purposes. This was the time and place where the Son of God was meant to be. And to do what? The kingdom of God is near. Now, who was the king, by the way, of the kingdom? And who was telling those who are listening, Oh, by the way, the kingdom is arriving? It's here, it's now. Jesus was the king. Did they recognize him as the king? No, they didn't. But who had set up the roadway for the arrival of the king? John the Baptist. So when John the Baptist has his ministry conclude, the time is present for the king to arrive, and Jesus is in effect saying, here I am. The show is about to begin. My purposes are about to be fulfilled. Here's the plan. And we don't get to talk about what the kingdom of God is, that has arrived in its full, but if you stick around and listen to the rest of the gospel, you will get the broader and bigger and more important framework that he has in mind. In other words, we just get the launching here in the same way that Trinity Chippenham, if we want to make an application, is just now being launched. What will it look like a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, to have a community of people who are bonded together around a vision Of Jesus Christ who reveals the Father, whose love, the Father's Son's love is poured out into our hearts by his Spirit who comes and dwells within us, lives within us, and says, I love you. And then we pour that love out to the community around us. What will that look like in a year or two or three? I don't know, but in the fullness of time, God has it in his purpose that we're here now having a vision of who He is and revealing that to a people who have needs and it's no accident that we're here at this time and place. And Jesus was saying that as He launched that first ministry. It may seem unlikely, both the time and the place, but this is the time, this is the place where His ministry began. So as we go on and we see what it is that is the core message, Jesus basically says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is here, Well, first of all, let me skip back to the earlier part of 14. Proclaiming the gospel of God. And then he starts to fill that out. Talks about the timing. But then he gets to the practical applications. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he talks about the gospel a couple of times. And how did the book start? The gospel start? Back in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So... The gospel is the key to Jesus' ministry, proclaiming the gospel of God. Repent and believe in the gospel. So two features, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus gets launched with his message. But what is the gospel? Going back, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As Peter mentioned last week, gospel is just good news. It's happy news. It's a good report. Oh, have you heard... Oh, I've got a great report for you. Here's, you know, that's good news, gospel. Well, the good news ultimately is what? That you are a sinner and I'm a sinner. We're all sinners and our sin has been confronted and solved. That's the good news. But ultimately, it's not the what, but the who that makes the gospel. And what we'll see is that through the rest of Mark, we come up to the point where we see Jesus, who is the object, the center, the focus of the good news, the gospel, will take care of that problem that you and I struggle with. That is to say, if everyone here knew what I was really like, they might not care for me because I've got issues. And the answer is, yeah, yeah, we all do. But how does God address us as people he loves? And Jesus came to say, I've got good news for you. I've come to have a relationship with you. And so Jesus, as he begins to demonstrate for us what this gospel looks like, gives these two words, repent and believe in the gospel, these two elements of calling. And then he goes and calls the first disciples. So here we pick it up in 16 uh, uh, through uh, 20. Um, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting their nets. So here we've got two brothers, Simon and Andrew. And then we go on and see that he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets. And then we get two other brothers, James, <clears throat> the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. So we have four, four men, two brothers, It's interesting, isn't it, that as Jesus does the calling, as he's building his leadership team, and in fact, what we'll see is that we get later on to, I think it's chapter 6, where he calls out 12 who will be his leadership team, who will be included, these four men. So right now, we get this inaugural feature. Now, here's a little secret that we have. If you read your Bible, in the last few days, weeks, You may well have gone through John's gospel. And what do we discover in John's gospel? Two of the brothers have already been alerted to who Jesus is. So it's not as if this is out of the blue. Jesus comes walking along. Hey, you, come on, follow me. And they go, who's that man? I guess we better follow him. It's not that at all. Jesus has already been doing something in the neighborhood. And John the Baptist, as we see in John chapter 1 has been telling them that there is one who is to come whose sandals he's not worthy to fiddle with, tie on tie. Again, we mentioned that last week. This one is going to be far greater than John the Baptist, who after 400 years of silence was considered a remarkable and brilliant moment in Jewish history because at last we have a prophet again. And he says, yeah, but I'm virtually nothing compared to the one who's coming. So... Here are the two brothers, uh, that is, of the brothers' teams. We have two of them who are Andrew and John in the Gospel of John 1, John chapter 1, are there, and John the Baptist is the one that they're following. See, they're already committed to spiritual pursuits. They want to know, who, who is it that we should follow? Who sh- what should we do spiritually? How should we go forward? They're following John the Baptist, and John the Baptist talks about the one who is yet to come. And then he says, here he is, behold, the Lamb of God. And these two brothers, these, well, they're not brothers to each other, but these two men who are the brother pairings, Simon and Andrew, or sorry, uh, Andrew and John, both say, he's more important than you. And what do they do? Thanks, John. And they go off and say, how can we follow you? Where can we go with you? How can we be with you? And so they have already had a connection with Jesus. So that much we know from John. Mark doesn't emphasize that. What he does want to emphasize is how he builds the leadership team. So among the men that he knows, what do we discover? He's happy to use... Those who are the graduates of Gamaliel University in Jerusalem and who had the highest marks and were the most... Sorry, I think I got that wrong. Who did he select? Members of the Galilee Fish Company. I mean, we don't know if that's the name, but that's essentially what they were, men in Galilee fishing. And they were part of a company. Zebedee seems to have been the man in charge, the father of James and John. And he has to see two of his, uh, you know, the men who are meant to run the company, wander off following this guy, Jesus. Do you see what's going on there? What, what is it to repent, by the way? To repent is to change your mind, to change your direction, to change your life. And what was it that Jesus experienced in what Peter looked at last week? with you he went out into the wilderness and he was tempted by satan oh who is satan a mythical figure that you know just sort of floats around the background but doesn't really have much influence anywhere on anyone or is satan the one who's in control of the world well the bible says he's the one who's in control of the world Paul will later on say, well, you know, actually, he's the one who rules over everyone. Everyone is under the power of Satan until they come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean they're grotesquely evil. It just means that his invitation to have a vision for self, in which self is central, self-concern, self-security, self-advancement, self, 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 That's what his ploy is. And what was it that Jesus was offered when he was out tempted in the wilderness? Mark doesn't go through the details, but what we find is that we have three episodes where Satan tried to get Jesus to be separated from the will of his father. And one of those was to say, I have rule, control, I'm in charge of all the nations. I control people with my falsity, my lie. You know that, Jesus. And I can let you have all of these people that I rule over who follow me and my ways. I'll give them to you. All you have to do, Jesus, is worship me. What characterizes Satan? His selfishness. What characterizes followers of Satan? Selfishness, self-concern, self-security, self-advancement, self-self-self-self-self. And what is it that Jesus is calling them to? Repentance. Who was the first one among man who had a chance to explore the options of life, whether to be devoted to God or to be devoted to self? The one who was in the garden and was given the opportunity to do what? What? You can be like God. You can determine for yourself what is good and evil. You don't have to rely on God. You can become a partner to God. The two of you can work together. Now, I'm reading between the lines, but essentially that set up the notion of religion as a responsibility-driven function in which we could do what we need to do to become good people. And what was it that Jesus was tempted with? That option. And what did he do? He overcame the temptation. Where Satan had conquered Adam, he failed to conquer Jesus. Now, Jesus is starting his ministry right after that confrontation. And he's going to show us what humanity really should look like by not submitting to self-concern, self-fulfillment, self-awareness, self self Self, self, self. And he opens the pathway now to live to God, 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 and God. And what is repentance? What does Jesus say to his men as he meets them and calls on them? They've had some exposure to his ministry. And what's the key feature of his particular ministry at this point? He saw Simon and Andrew... And he said, verse 17, follow me, follow me. Now, to follow Jesus is not the best thing if you're concerned about your self-advancement, self-security, self-concerns, self, 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 self. What happens when you start to follow Jesus? Ah, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I, I really want to discover what does your kingdom look like? How do I live out? How can I be part of your kingdom? Where do I fit in? What's the role that I can play as I get to know you and through you know the Father and, and experience the love of your spirit poured out in my life so I can spill it out to Chippen and Wiltshire and the UK and beyond. Oh, Lord, give me more opportunity to be what I was made to be by you. That's what repentance is. It's a turning away from self. To Christ and Jesus says follow me and you've got to have a team leadership team that's what we see being formed here who are invited to follow and what did they do they followed and there was the beginning of the church a group of leaders a time a place a vision And the early church began. It was an unlikely place, an unlikely group. In fact, when we get to Acts 4, the question is, why that group of the Galilee Fish Company brothers? Well, it happens to be that relationships are awfully important for growing a church. And brothers are really sound places to start relational connections. And we've got two sets of brothers here that become kind of the backbone of the early church. So... What about Trinity Chippenham? Do we have any relationships here that are sort of bedrock relationships that can begin to grow and spread as we follow Jesus, not just as independent agents, but collectively together, saying, let's go there. How do we get closer to Jesus? How do we offer what Jesus has, to, has given us to those who are around us? Let's see if we can spread the goodness that we've discovered. So what is it that we're called to here at Trinity Chippenham? To repent. To repent. Will we make a difference? Will God make a difference through us if there's no repentance? If it's just a matter of saying, yes, we're going to bring a new religious presence to the community of how to make yourself happier as you are self-concerned, self-fulfilling, self, 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 and add Jesus to the mix. The answer is that doesn't work. It just doesn't make a difference. What will happen is a church that has a vision of Christ and says, wherever you lead us, we will follow. That's a church that starts to create earthquake-like motions in a community because people start to say, that's very different than what we thought religion was meant to be. Oh, my goodness, that's life-changing what you're about. The answer is, yeah, That's what repentance is. And to believe is to believe the one who tells us the truth, to abide in his truth, to abide in his word, and to say, whatever you say, I know you would never tell us anything, but what is true, we want to be people of the word. We want to know the truth. We will believe what you tell us because we know there's been one who has lied to us and said that self, 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 and self was the center of life. And now we've repented. We've said, no, that's not what life is about. Life is about you, 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 and you. And we start to spill out the life and love of Christ. As we receive it, we spill it, we spread it, we share it. Isn't it this is a great calling, isn't it? Time? 2014. Place? Chippenham? Vision? Vision? A view of God, the triune God whose love is poured out into our hearts that we now get to share as we discover who he is, as the gospel reveals to us the heart of Christ, who reveals the heart of the Father, as the Spirit of God affirms that in a spirit spirit communion. And leadership, a group of men who are really meant just to come alongside us and to say, Look at, here's where we see Christ. Let's go there together and let's make sure we share what we discover with those around us. And what will God do? Well, Jesus got crucified, to be honest with you. It didn't seem like a very successful minister. I hate to be a downbeat figure. Didn't really work, did it? Oh, by the way, why was he crucified? Because all of our selfishness had to face judgment. God says, I will not put up with selfishness in eternity. It has to be done away with. Son, will you marry those who believe in you? Will you become one with them and then take their sin and die for them and then give them eternal life? Because you, my son, are God and you have eternal life. And death will not conquer you. Though you die, it will not conquer you. So actually, what is it that was so good about Christ's ministry? He died and he was raised again. Let's pray. We thank you so very much, Lord, for the kinds of things that we get to celebrate when we come together and each week reflect on the, the ministry of the cross, the crucifixion, the death, the burial. And then through that, we're reminded that we meet on Mondays, Sundays, because Sundays are the day of the week when you were raised from the dead. And so we celebrate this Sunday, today, that resurrection through which we have life. And I pray that we will share the message of your love and life to those around us. And that as a young church, as a new church, we would reflect what you displayed so many centuries ago to a world that's still as needy as it's ever been. Thank you in Jesus' name for making this possible. Amen.